So we've been talking about that first church, the church that Jesus built, the church that he started during his own personal ministry, how, and then how on the day of Pentecost, he baptized his church in the Holy Spirit, and he gave them power and boldness. Looking at that first church gives us the example that we are to follow. You know, we don't look at other churches in the neighborhood or around the world and say this is what they're doing and therefore that's what we need to be doing. The Bible is our all-sufficient rule for faith and practice. And so we go to the Word of God, we look at what happened in that first church, and that becomes the example for us. We talked about finding our mission. We talked about uh, last week we saw the testimony of changed lives, transformed lives, that it was undeniable that God had made a difference in their lives. What about your life? Has God made a difference in your life? I assure you, He wants to. He wants to make an undeniable change in your life. We talked about the boldness that they had, that they would not be denied the opportunity of giving testimony of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about the power of a praying church. And that's what I want for our church. I, man, I want our church to be a praying church. I want an earth-shaking movement of the Spirit of God on this church. I, I want there to be bold preaching because that's what happened in that day in that first church. I want you to be bold witnesses and I want the result of that that we shake up our community for Jesus, that we have souls saved in our church, that we have people added to our church, that we would be a growing church. But one of the results of what happened in that praying church and in that day is there was an amazing generosity that took place. And that's what uh, Randy read to us about in the scripture today how the church learned to give and to give generously. Now I want you to notice some things about that passage. Notice that as the church learns to give, generosity blooms where unity thrives. Generosity blooms where unity thrives. It was a large church. And yet there was a unity in that church. You know, if, if we agree on something, if we get our hearts together on something, then we are going to be generous. We will follow with our offerings where our hearts go. That passage of Scripture says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, Neither did anyone say that any of these things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Now, I've highlighted some of the words, and you've already learned that I do that because those are the things that, that I want to speak about. Notice it talks about the multitude of those who believed. Understand that uh, at the ascension of Christ, there were 120 members of the church that he left behind. Now, thousands had been saved during his personal ministry, and thousands had been baptized, but not everyone remained faithful. I guess I need to ask you, will you 
remain faithful. No matter what else happens, no matter who leaves, no matter who you call as pastor, are you going to remain faithful? Only 120 did. But then on the day of Pentecost, at the powerful preaching of Peter and at the movement of the Holy Spirit of God, 3,000 were added to the church on that day. Later we read in Acts chapter 3 that that number grew to 5,000. Now that is a mega church, 5,000. And yet the Bible says that they were of one heart and one mind. Now, there is a myth out there that you can't have a big church and have unity, that you can only have unity in a small church. Listen, I grew up in small Baptist churches, and some of the most fighting and the biggest disagreements take place in small churches. They're probably small for that reason. The, the, the average Baptist church in America is between 60 and 75 people. Well, why is that? Well, because they probably couldn't get along when it got any larger than that. We have an idea that if I don't see you every time we have a service, then we can't have fellowship together and we can't be in unity. Do you really think that 5,000 people showed up in every service of the church? Well, I would remind you, they didn't have church buildings in that day. Now, they met at the temple, and they met daily. But you would have to understand that not everybody would come to every meeting that, that, that took place at the temple on every day. And so there were different groups. It's the same thing as multiple services. You say, well, we can't be united because we have multiple services. They did. That's the example that was set for us. If you have a heart for the Lord... If you love Jesus, if you're committed to follow Him and be faithful, it doesn't matter if there are three services, six or nine. You can be in unity of the Spirit of God and still be a, a multitude, still be a mega church. They were in one heart and one mind even though they were a multitude. Now you realize, you have to understand who this group was made up of. It was both men and women. I've mentioned that several times because they met in Solomon's porch. That's where the women could meet with the men. And so this is both men and women. This is both old and young. These are different groups. There were the, the Jewish Jews. That sounds sort of strange, but that means the Orthodox Jews. Those were the real Jews. They were the conservatives of their day. And then there was the Hellenistic Jews. Those were the ones who had compromised culture and language, and they used the Greek language and they followed the Greek culture. They were Jews, but they were Greeks as well. They were the liberals of their day. Do you see where I'm going with this? Does that sound like our day? There were conservatives and there were liberals, but they were in the same church, and they got along. They were of one heart and of one mind. There were old ones and there were young ones. By the way, there were other groups. Uh, there were the proselytes. Those were the foreigners, non-Jews, who had first followed Jewish religion, but then when the gospel of Jesus Christ was preached, 
they became Christians. Okay, so you got the conservatives, and you got the liberals, and then you got the foreign immigrants. Tell me that doesn't fit our day. And yet they met in the church, and they were of one heart and one mind. How do you do that? You just fall in love with Jesus. If you love God enough, you will love the people of God, no matter what they look like, no matter where they're from, even if you disagree on politics, if you disagree on financial principles, regardless of the other things you disagree about, you agree one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God above all and through all. And we can agree because we love God. We're, we're going to talk a lot in the new year about our prime directive, keeping the main thing the main thing. You know what the main thing is? Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then love others as yourself. Love God, love others, and reach the world for Jesus. By the way, that's the one mind. The one heart is a heart for God, the one heart, the one soul, that is the one mind, the one emotion, the one will. When we talk about the soul of man, we're talking about his intellect, we're talking about his emotional makeup, and we're talking about how he makes choices. We, we use a fancy term, volition, that is his will, how he makes choices. And they not only had one heart for God, they were of one mind about what they were supposed to be doing for God. There was no disagreement that says, well, I don't like what the old folks are doing, or I don't like what the young people are doing, or I don't like having those immigrants here, or I don't like... They're, they were agreed in heart on loving God and loving one another, and they had the same mind about why they were here. I think it's important for us to know why we're here. What are we about? What is our vision? What is our purpose? And if we can agree on that, then our church can grow in every way. We can grow up. We can grow out. We can grow in generosity. You see, the Bible says that where your heart is, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Larry, sometimes I forget which way it is. Is it where your treasure is, there will your heart be? Or Jacob, is it where your heart be, is, it's where your treasure will be? Well, the answer is yes. It works both ways. You know, if, if you've got a child that was born with a, a defect, or a child that has contracted some disease, uh, you're probably going to end up at St. Jude's. And you're going to be head over heels in love with St. Jude's, and man, you're going to get everybody, all your friends, to contribute to St. Jude's. The, the thing that touches your heart are the things that you're excited about and that you will give to. If we are united in our love for God, then giving our offerings and being generous to God will not be a struggle for us because that's where our heart is. Where your treasure is is where your heart will be. Where your heart is is where you'll put your treasure. If we can be united in our church about why we're here and what we're supposed to be doing, generosity will genuinely follow. 
They were of one heart and one soul. Not only that, but they were totally unselfish. Notice that it says, and let me put this in, in language that I can understand. There was not a single person there who claimed that anything was purely his own. Now, okay, the verse says, Neither did anyone say that any of those things he possessed was his own. That means that every single person realized that the things that he possessed were not his, they belonged to God. And they were willing to let go of everything, anything and everything, for God's sake. You know what our nature tells us to do? Hold on to the things that we, that we get. Sometimes the things that we get come at a very high price for us. We work hard for them. We save long. But you do understand, don't you, that every breath we take is a gift from God. Every heartbeat. I, I sleep with earplugs at night. It's a long story. You don't want to hear it. But I hear my heartbeat. Brenda lays on my chest and listens to my heartbeat because I have AFib, and she doesn't like it when my heart's doing weird things. I, I guess having AFib has led me to understand that every beat of my heart is a gift from God because He can stop it anytime He wants to. Every bit of income I have is a gift from God, and He can stop it anytime He wants to. I asked him, are you staying busy? Every job he gets is a gift from God. I, he didn't earn that, I didn't earn that. It's good to have a good reputation and stay busy. But we better understand, it is God who has given us the ability to gain wealth. That's Deuteronomy chapter 8. Listen, everything we have comes from God. And we need to be very careful about holding on to something as too precious to us. And I warn you, if there's something in your life and in your heart that you're holding on to desperately, God just might decide to pry that out of your hands so that you recognize that it came from Him. And, th and they were unselfish. There was nothing they held back. Let me ask you, look up here. In your life, what are you holding on to that you won't let God have? What are you holding back? Their example is one of generosity that there was nothing that they held on to as too precious to let go. God's the same way. God gave us the best He had, His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. I, I was reading in Spanish in Romans, Gerardo Carrion, one of his favorite verses is where it says, and it uses that Spanish in Scott, that he, he did not withhold from us His only Son. Man, that touches my heart. There was nothing that God held back from us. They did not consider anything to be their own, but they had all things in common. That is, they were willing to share everything. 
Now, that is not an example of socialism. That is not an example of communism. You see, socialism takes by force. That is, a socialist or communist government comes to you and says, you have too much, we're going to take it from you and give it to someone else. This is not what happened. Nobody forced these people to give up the things they had. Socialism takes by force and gives it to others. Generosity sees the need in others and voluntarily gives to support that need. Don't confuse the two. Then I said, generosity blooms where unity thrives. Okay, so if generosity blooms, then as a result, grace overflows where generosity abounds. You see, you begin with unity in the church, and that unity in the church causes um, generosity to come, to follow, and when generosity abounds, the grace of God overflows. The verse says, And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all, nor was anyone among them who lacked. Now, what I'm saying is, Unity breeds generosity. Generosity causes the grace of God to overflow. When the grace of God overflows, notice that it talks about great power the apostles gave witness. That great power is powerful preaching of the Word of God. I believe in powerful preaching, but I also believe in practical preaching. And that place, listen, any time in the Bible, in the New Testament, that there is a movement of the Spirit of God, they talk about the filling of the Spirit of God. Any time there's a movement of the Spirit of God, there's powerful preaching. And there is bold witness, and souls are saved, and the church grows. That is my prayer for our church. And I, I pray for the power to preach the Word of God. But I also pray at the same time that you will be powerful witnesses of your faith in Christ. We see visitors, we see guests in the services, and we see them not because I've done anything, but because you have had a witness to bring people in to hear the preaching of the Word of God. That's how the church will grow. Man, we need a movement of the Spirit of God. We need souls saved. We need people added to our church. And that is my burden. That is my prayer. When generosity abounds, grace overflows. And there is great power. There is great witness. And there is great grace. You understand that grace means favor and it is primarily favor from God. Man, I want the favor of God on our church, don't you? Well, that was a loud response. I want the favor of God on our church, don't you? Amen. And I, 
I want the movement of the Spirit. I want the grace of God to just overflow in this place. But you know that grace, great grace, also refers to favor among the people. One of the things that happened is the people saw the excitement, saw the movement of the Spirit and the witness about the resurrection. By the way, do not mistake, don't forget that that witness is primarily about the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the linchpin of our faith, that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died for our sins, but also that He was raised again and lives now and is active in this church. That witness, an excited witness, brought other people to the church and, and there was favor among the people because of the witness, because of the love, and because of the service of the church to the people around them. They loved God and they loved each other and they loved others around them. Do you do that? That's what we're here for. That's what it's all about. Love God, love others, reach the world for Jesus. And because they were doing that, there was great grace among the people for that congregation, for that church. And then it says there was also great provision. Great preaching, great witness, great grace, and great provision. There was not anyone among them who lacked. Now, that please understand that doesn't mean that everybody had everything they wanted. The poor were not given what they wanted, but rather what they needed. Now, there are a lot of things that I want. I mean, I, I went to see the movie yesterday, Ford versus Ferrari. I, I just, that sounded like an interesting movie to me, and it, oh, it was. It, it was a good movie. Um, I don't go to the movies unless I get some principles about pastoring. And, and uh, I shared a principle for pastoring with Brenda on the way home from watching Ford versus Ferrari. I, that's, just, that's just me. But, you know, I could probably handle having a, Colt, a Shelby Mustang. That's what it was all about, the the advent of the Shelby Mustang. Ah, you guys are too young to understand what I'm talking about. But man, Tim, a Shelby Mustang. I could handle that. I saw the commercial about the guy whose wife bought him a beautiful red Corvette. And I thought, yeah, wait till he sees the payment book for that thing. <laughs> there are a lot of things we want. And God has not promise to provide you with everything you want. Somebody said, I haven't, I've been praying for a breakthrough and I haven't seen my breakthrough yet. And I said, you, you need to understand the breakthrough you're praying for will probably come on the inside. You're looking for one on the outside. You want all these things to be given to you and that's not what it's all about. If there's a breakthrough in your faith on the inside, then God will provide your needs, but that doesn't mean He'll provide your wants. And so understand, 
It's not that there was equal distribution so that everybody had everything they wanted and everything they needed, but rather there was no one who did not have their basic needs provided because of the generosity of the people. What that means is people gave up what they wanted. The people who had more than they needed gave up what they wanted so that they could give others what those others needed. Listen, that's grace. That's grace. Where generosity abounds, grace overflows. Then faith flourishes where grace overflows. Do you see the progression of that? Where there is unity in the church, generosity blooms. Where generosity then abounds, grace overflows. But when grace overflows, the result of that is that faith flourishes. So, well, what are you talking about? Notice that it says in verse 34, Nor was anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the feet of the apostles. Now, notice this. It says, all who were possessors. That means that not everybody sold everything they had. Those who had more than they needed. They were possessors of lands or houses. That does not mean they sold the house that they were living in. It means that they had another house. They sold their lake house. They sold their rental property. They sold their inheritance so that they could provide for those. They had more than they needed, and so they sold them so that they could provide for those who had none. That takes faith. Listen, if you sell your inheritance, that means to me that you know who holds the future. I've, I think about David when he built the temple, brought in his personal savings and gave it for the construction of the, of the temple. And listen, it was significant savings. If you give up your inheritance, if you give your inheritance to God, that, now that's, we're talking about more than tithing. Tithing is not giving up your inheritance. It is giving a tenth of everything that you receive. That is the beginning of giving, and that's what God expects of you as a church member. Every family in the church ought to tithe. But generosity means giving more than the minimum. It means taking another step and trusting God. If you're willing to sell your rental property, that means that you believe that God will give it back to you and then some. Do you, by the way, do you believe that? That you cannot outgive God, that He will always give more back to you than you can ever give Him? Listen to me. All giving to the church is based on faith in God. I had a deacon one time. I don't know why he was a deacon with this attitude, but I had a deacon one time tell me, 
Uh, not in this church, by the way. So don't get to trying to figure out who this was. Not anybody you know. But he said, I can't afford to tithe. And I was shocked. And I said, man, I can't afford not to tithe. Because I know that everything I have comes from God. And I don't want to stop His provision for me. I believe with all my heart that as I give to Him, He gives back to me and then some. You can never outgive God. You say, well, I don't believe that. That's, that's an issue of faith. You have to believe God. And if you feel like you cannot afford to tithe, what you're saying is you don't believe that everything you have comes from God. If you believed that, you would understand that you can tithe and you need to tithe so that His provision for you flows, even overflows. But you see, understanding that is a matter of faith. It is a testimony that you believe that God holds your future. The other thing I want you to notice about that, there's two phrases I wanted to point out. As many as had is the first phrase. So it's not everybody, and it's not all the time. Delenn, it's when there's a special need like there was in that day. And it is those who have more than they need and are willing to trust God and give above their tithe. But notice, they laid the money at the apostles' feet and they... The apostles distributed to each one as they had need. Now, what that means to me is our primary giving to God. Our tithe belongs to God. And it is intended to be given through your church. Do not designate your tithe and do not give your tithe to someone else. Give it to God and give it through your church. That's how God intends for the church to grow and have its needs provided. These people were giving above their tithe, and they were giving by faith, and they still laid it at the apostles' feet, trusting the church to distribute to those who had need. We have a problem sometimes in our churches. Somebody gets mad at the preacher. Now, I can't imagine why anybody would get mad at me. You know, I'm such a likable guy and all that. But They get mad at the preacher and they start withholding the tithe. Friend, you're hurting yourself. You're not hurting the preacher. You're hurting yourself. There needs to be a trust of the congregation to be led by the Spirit and to do what God would lead us to do. And our giving needs to be based on faith in God and trusting the congregation to do what is right. You say, what if they make a mistake? Well, God can handle them. Believe me, He can take care of that. Give your offerings to God and leave it with God to take care of that. I tell you what, our current budget deficit, and yes, we have one, but our current budget deficit would be totally wiped out, erased, if every member of this church tithed. 
if every family gave a tenth to the church, there would be no budget problems. In fact, the truth is, if every member of this church tithed, we'd have to have an emergency meeting of the finance committee to figure out what to do with all the funds. But these people went beyond that. They gave by faith. Some of you know that one of the things that I do as a part of my missionary ministry is teach churches how to give above their tithe by faith in God, believing that God would provide an offering through you that He would not give to you. You say, well, I don't see how that could work. It's by faith. It is trusting in God to provide in a way to enable you to give above your tithe to the Lord's work. Listen, where unity, where there is unity in the church, and we agree on why we're here and what we're supposed to be doing, everybody can get involved. So where unity thrives, generosity blooms. And then when generosity blooms and abounds, the grace of God overflows. Man, I want that grace in my life. I want that grace in my church. And where grace overflows, faith grows. We need faith in God.